We're going to continue our series. Last week, if you got the chance to be with us, we started The Servant King. And Pastor Josh kicked us off with just a great introduction to this. And we're taking a walk through the Gospel of Mark. And we're really kind of getting to see Jesus and who he is through the lens of Mark. And one of the things that you really need to capture is... is in this gospel is really understanding Mark's perspective. And so to just kind of recap a little bit for you, Mark is a helper, right? He has the gift of helps. He is one of those people that likes to be behind the scenes, not necessarily on stage. How many people share that, right? You are like, I will do everything behind the scenes. You put me on stage and I'm going to run because that's just not where I'm at. This is Mark. He has no desire to be out front. He just likes to be a servant to help. And, and we see it as he just jumps journeys off with Paul and Barnabas. He wants to just be that help with them. And so it's no wonder that he paints this beautiful picture of Jesus as a servant king. But what you need to realize is is that Mark is not speaking to the traditional Jewish Christians. He's actually speaking to Roman Christians. He's in that province with them and he's talking to them. And so there's a little bit of contrast to what they view as a king as as a compared to what the Jews would view as a king. Because in Roman culture and in their history, they would view a king as someone that was just forceful, that they were dominant. They would go after and take over kingdoms. And so for Mark to paint Jesus in the light of a servant really kind of just messed with them in a good way, right? They just weren't expecting it. And he's showing this tremendous thing. And we know that Mark is the most translated gospel in the Bible. It is still to this day, one of the most translated. It's a fast paced journey. Mark is not one to sit back and give you every little detail. He just rushes through it. It's only, I think, 16 chapters. And so he just blazes through this and we find quickly his favorite word is immediately. He says it 42 times when the rest of the New Testament only says it 14. So you can tell he wants to move us along But in this, there's a beautiful story. And last week, like I said, Pastor Josh posed this question in showing us Jesus and asked this question, which is kind of all culminated from Mark 8. And it just says this, Jesus is talking to his disciples and some of John the Baptist's disciples that come. And he asks this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's neat because he doesn't ask the question, who does your family say that I am. He doesn't ask, who does your friends say that I am? Who does the culture say I am? He asked specifically, who do you say that I am? And last week we ended just with a challenge for you to go into that question, to dive into it, to discover and answer it, or begin to answer that question of who do you say Jesus is? And we invited you along this journey and as we go through this series to just read with us through the book of Mark. And I hope you've done that. And as you're doing that, God is beginning to reveal himself to you. And you're just discovering on a deeper level who he is. And I want to encourage you today, we're going to kind of jump just a little bit further down. We're not going to even leave chapter one yet because there's so much good stuff right there. And so we're just going to move down to verse 14 in chapter one. And if you have a headline in your Bible, most of you will see this and it's the calling of the disciples. And I think a lot of times we read through this so fast because it becomes such a familiar story. We hear the notion in just really some simple words 
echo to us is that I will make you fishers of men is one of the famous passages within this. And today I don't want to minimize that because I think that's a powerful call. And I love hearing messages that challenge us to go out and invite people and to draw people to who the person of Jesus is. But I want us to really not miss the significance of what's happening here and what Mark details here for us because he really gives us the picture of Jesus calling his team, right? How many play fantasy football? Come on, guys. And there's some ladies, right? Like, see, everybody's always embarrassed to put their hands up. They're like, no, shouldn't play fantasy. No, it's okay. I play fantasy football, so you can feel free to play fantasy football. Now, now everybody's like, oh, no, we're in trouble. Now, and, but what's neat about fantasy football is this. One of the things, or even a fantasy sport in general, one of the things I love is that you get to pick your team, right? And all of us, different as we may be, we all have certain criterias, right? Or let's even go this route, right? How many remember their grade school days and you got to be the captain of the kickball team or whatever's going, and you had to pick? Hopefully I'm not bringing up some painful memories. You're like, I never got picked to be captain. I was always picked last. I'm not trying to bring those memories up today. I just, But just thinking about the idea of team and picking and choosing your team, we all have like criteria, right? Like there are things like, when I'm looking, I want somebody that's athletic, that's coordinated, that knows what they're doing, right? I don't want to just pick someone at random to come be a part of my team. I, I'm looking for some specific things, right? And I'm going to tell on my daughter, she's an amazing eight-year-old little girl, but she's not the most coordinated girl in the world, right? And so she's probably not one I would pick for my team. I know that sounds so bad. I sound like such a horrible parent right now. She's really good at a lot of things. It's just sports may not be in her avenue, right? Right. And so I hope that changes. Like, you know, she's still got time. She's only eight. So we're good. Uh, uh, but she'll be running and just like there's nothing in front of her and she just face plants. Right. I mean, it's just it happens. And so, you know, so naturally I'm like, hey, we're going to go play some sports. Lila, you might want to take a seat, baby. Uh, no, I'm just playing. I'll, I hope she changes it. She's she's awesome. But thinking about that just leads me to this set of scriptures in Jesus picking his team. And there's something significant about this. And it's not so much that he's looking for specific things, but Mark shows us in this scripture and gives us a picture of what makes up the call of God. And there are three specific things. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you not to just write me off this morning, because here we go talking about the, the calling of the disciples, but in fact, listen in, because I believe God is revealing something in this scripture and Mark gets the opportunity to jot it down. And so I'd encourage you, if you had the note sheet, when you came in, if you got one of those, take some notes with us this morning. If you have a your device with you, take some on that as well. But let's dive into this story and just begin to see what it is that God wants to do in our lives and how he calls. Because I don't know about you, but I want to know what does it mean when God calls me? What does it mean to follow God, because essentially that's what it is. When you see the word call in the Bible and Jesus is calling his disciples, he's saying, come follow me, come follow me. And I want to know what that really entails. And so Mark gives us this beautiful picture right here. Mark chapter one, verses 14 through 20. And I want to read it with you. And this is the message version. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Passing along the beach of the Lake of Galilee, 
he saw Simon and his brother Andrew net fishing. Fishing was their regular work, and Jesus said to them, Come with me, and I'll make you a new kind of fisherman. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions. They dropped their nets and followed. A dozen yards or so down the beach, he saw the brothers James and John, Zebedee's sons. They were in the boat mending their fish nets, and right off, he made the same offer. And then Mark's favorite word, immediately, they left their father Zebedee, the boat and the hired hands, and followed Jesus. Like I said, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll read through that and miss what it is that's taking place here. And so this morning, I want to kind of take you on this journey and help you realize that we can see right from the beginning of this scripture that there's a period of time that has taken place. Because Mark gives us that reference by saying after John was arrested. And what you need to know about that to really bring this into context a little bit is simply this, is that primarily Jesus had been speaking in Judea. And so he had been there for most, if not all of his time to this point, just teaching. And now he's making a shift and we see he's moved moving to Lake Galilee in that area. And, and there's two things that he really does as he makes this shift. He begins to proclaim the gospel. And what does that mean? He begins to show them the prophecy of the Old Testament and how it relates to them in that moment, in that time. And then second, he begins to call his disciples. And out of that calling, Mark really shows us three things that is significant to the call of God on our lives. And those three things are this. I'm going to give them to you right up front. And then we're going to talk about them. Number one is that it's an urgent call. It's an urgent call. Number two is it's a personal call this morning. It's unique. It's personal to you. And then three, it's a transformational call. And I just want to jump right into the first one. And it's an urgent call. And you see right there in verses 14, it simply says this. Jesus went to Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe. Now I want to ask you a question, right? How many are calendar people in here, right? Like everything goes on a calendar. Your life is lived by a calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen right? It's just how it has to be. I am not that person, okay? So you're probably just not going to like me too much in that regard. I mean, you want to talk with me, we'll talk, but I'm not going to schedule a lot. My wife, she loves to put stuff on the calendar, and I am so thankful for it because, like, I know when our parent-teacher conference is, all that good stuff. I know when the doctor's appointments are, all that good stuff, but I'm the one that I'll get up 30 minutes before I have to leave. I'll look at the calendar and go, man, she might like to know where I'm going to be today. I better put it on the calendar, right? And so I do it, um, but it's not natural to me. And you might be going, Brian, why do you even bring that up in this context? Is because what we don't realize very often is as we're reading scripture and we see certain key words, we get drawn to those and, and there are misconceptions within the Bible. Like we don't take the time to really understand what they're meaning. And so when we read this scripture, a lot of times and we see that Jesus says here, time's up or the kingdom of God is here. You know, in some translations, it says, you know, repent and turn for the kingdom of God is here. And we miss that and we think just because of the culture we live in, we naturally go to a date, a time, a place. But when you go to the actual script of the New Testament, which is written in Greek, you recognize really quickly that when Jesus is saying this, he's not using the word chronos, 
which would have been the Greek word where we get chronology from, which means like time, watch, a date, calendar, those specific things. Jesus is actually using the word kairos, which means the right or opportune time. So he's not necessarily talking about, you know, a specific day or a specific time or a specific moment. He's talking about a season. He's talking about just time for something significant to happen. And what is he saying here in this beginning and the understanding of an urgent call is what he's doing is, is he's helping them realize that God is about doing things in a new way. There's something new that is happening. It's something different than what it was before. And he's calling them to see that, to see that God isn't operating by the old law. He's come as a fulfillment of that, but he's operating in a new way. And he's wanting the people, he's wanting the disciples to capture that. And if we're not careful, this call can be relegated to those few people and we miss that this is a call for all of us, for all generations. And we need to recognize that God is moving in the lives of people in a new way today. He's the same God, but he's doing things a little bit different. He's capturing the attention of people in a new way. He's drawing them to himself in a different way than maybe what we've witnessed in the past. Maybe what we're used to in the past and we can't miss that. See, some of us were looking for God in the past and God's going, I'm a God of the present. I'm here. I'm now. And we miss that. And God's reminding them of that. He's calling out to the disciples. He's calling out to you and I this morning that I am here now and I want to do something in your life. I'm doing something in faith community. That's why you're seeing so many new faces. I'm doing something in Jefferson County. And I want you to be a part of that. I want you to follow me as this, but it's an urgent thing. It's, it's now. And this is the thing about urgency, right? It demands a response. It demands for us to have some action to it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the call of Jesus is that he demands for us to respond to who he is. But here's the thing. It's not just new. It's now, right? Today is the day of salvation. And so God wants us to move today. He wants us to jump in today and follow him today and see that he is doing something new. But the reality is simply this, and I fall into this category, and some of you are going to be like, yep, that's me right away, is we get this next time mentality, right? Everything in our life says, well, you know, I'll do it next time. I'll do it next week. I'll do it tomorrow, right? Procrastination has become our friend, right? We put off everything until it's absolutely, we have no choice but to respond But the thing is, is we've let that bleed into our spiritual lives as well. And we come in and we can witness a wonderful baptism ceremony or service, right? And in our minds, we're like, man, I so want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God's doing, but I'll wait till they have signups next, the next time they do it. And then I'll do it. And what, what happens? We find ourselves even putting it off again later on. Or we get this sense that God is moving in our lives. He's drawing us to be a part of something. Most of all, drawing us to him. And we're like, well, God, I'm just not going to respond today. You know, next Sunday, 
if you do, if you just speak to my heart, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. And see, and that, that's why I say urgency demands a response. Jesus is sitting here and he's saying, I'm here now. And I don't want to be like doom or gloom this morning, but at the end of it all, it is life or death. It is life or death. And that's why his call demands a response. It's urgent for us to recognize what he's doing, that it may not be what we think it should be, but he's doing it and he's doing it now. One of the things I've had the privilege over the last couple years to be a part of is the Jefferson County Drug Prevention Coalition. And it was an eye-opening experience for me because I didn't realize how, how prevalent drugs have become in our community. Uh, and it's just something that has just floored me, looking at statistics, being involved with family members and people that have just been sucked into the addiction of drugs. And we're not just talking, you know, simple things like marijuana, but we're heroin, meth, prescription pills, all of that plays a part. And what's really sad is, is over the last few years, we've really noticed a stark jump in the amount of students that are getting engaged and falling in to this category. And I'm here to say today that it can end in our county today, but it's not necessarily going to be the work of the drug coalition. They play a part. It's going to be the work of God. And you and I have an opportunity today to reach people maybe in a new way, but today is the day to do it. And we can be involved, but we have to join with God. And that's what he's saying in this. He's speaking to these disciples and he's speaking to these people, calling them urgently to get involved, to get engaged with what I'm doing. And that's the call for you and I today. And not only is it urgent, but it's personal, right? It's a personal call. I'm not going to read it, but if you go back to verses 16 through 20, you see that Jesus has a crowd with him, right? He's been speaking. And so there are probably people following him along this beach. And it would have been really easy for Jesus to just turn around and go, all right, all of you, if you want to be my disciples, just come follow me. Right? It, it would have been simple that way. He could have just blanketed everybody right then, right in that moment, had a group call, you know, a group come to Jesus meeting. Everybody that wants to follow me, just line up on the beach. I'm going to go over. I'm going to pray over all of you. And you'll be good. He could have done that. But he chose to call out to specific individuals. He chose to call out to Simon. He chose to call out to Andrew. And if we're not careful, I know I have all these years. It wasn't until I began to really study this set of scriptures that I began to realize something about these four men that I often just glance over. But they were four Jewish men. And you're like, so what, Brian? What does that mean? Well, in order to really capture what Jesus is doing in this moment, you need to understand their culture a little bit. Because as the four Jewish men that they were, they would have been required by law to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They would have been called to memorize that. So Leviticus, they wouldn't have just had to read it. They'd have had to memorize it, okay? And I don't know about you, but I struggle reading that book, much less memorizing it. But that would have been their call. And you might be going, why is that? And it's simply this, this morning, that they would have desired to be rabbis because in the Jewish culture, the most prestigious, the most prime position in their culture would have been to be a rabbi. 
And so every Jewish young man would have desired to be that. And so they would have began at an early age studying those books. And if they excelled in that, rabbis would take notice and kind of call them as their own personal disciples or students and begin to take them on a much deeper journey in scripture to hopefully become the rabbi of that day. But wait a minute, were these four guys in Bible school? They weren't, right? They were back as fishermen. And contrary to what we might think, fishermen weren't like the low jobs at that time because Galilee would have been a sort of a hub. And so it would have probably been a lucrative career for them. But what it means to us and something that I think we miss a lot in this scripture is simply this, is that they would have failed. Maybe they didn't memorize scripture as well as they thought. They didn't cut it in rabbi school, right? All of a sudden now they're back at their family trade, not looking just to provide a meal for their family for that day. This was something that was probably providing great income for them. But still, think about what they would have been battling internally. There had to be shame, right? Because everybody in their surrounding area would have known they didn't cut it. There was probably disappointment because all they wanted to be was a rabbi at some point, right? They would have felt like they were a failure, maybe even worthless to this point. Here it is, I'm back doing my family business. And I don't know about you, but I can relate with that so much. I can look back on my life and recognize the moments in my life when I didn't feel like I measured up, right? And just the shame and the unworthiness that weighed on me, even if I was doing something, you know? I'd been in ministry for a period of time and got let go. And I was like, man, maybe this isn't for me. And so I started working at a flooring shop. And working in that flooring shop, I'll be honest with you, it was great income, but it was miserable for me because I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was serving my purpose on any level. I felt unworthy that maybe I wasn't good enough to be where I am today, or I wasn't good enough to follow the call that God had for my life. And so you can imagine these men were wrestling that notion and yet here comes Jesus, who's a rabbi, he's a teacher. And he calls out to him and it's not just, hey, everybody on the boat, come follow me. It's, hey, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Nick, Darren, Grant, Shiloh, come follow me. It's a personal call to these guys. And what is Jesus doing in that moment? He's reaffirming them because he's looking at them going simply this is, I know you feel unworthy. I know you feel like a failure. I know you feel like you don't deserve this, but I'm calling you anyway. Because that feeling of unworthiness is exactly what I want. I want to show you that you're not a failure. So I want you to come follow me. And this morning that speaks true to each one of us. See, some of us, we can easily go to the notion, well, I'm not good enough to be a part of what God wants to do in Jefferson County. I'm not good enough to be a part of what God wants to do here in faith community. And that's a lie from the enemy because Jesus is here this morning calling you personally to say, that's not what I look for. That's not what it's about. 
He's not looking for someone who has it all together. He's not looking for someone who has no failure in their life. He's looking for you. He's looking for someone that doesn't have to have it all together. That's not moral enough, right? That's not good enough. He just wants you and that's what he's doing. And I love this because we get this picture in Mark the whole time that God is a God of second chances, right? We've seen it in Mark's life. You heard last week, if you were here with us, Mark goes on this missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And in the middle of it, when his life is threatened, when a bunch of stuff comes against him, he deserts them. He turns around, he tucks tail and he runs. He runs. And then Paul and Barnabas are about to go on their second journey. And Barnabas says, Hey, I want Mark to come with us. And Paul's like, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. You saw what he did last time. We can't have that happen again. Yet, if you fast forward almost to the end of Paul's life, you read in scripture where he's calling for Mark to come back to be by his side. Why? He says this, because Mark is very useful to me. And then we find Mark writes this scripture, this gospel, and it just shows how much of a second chance God we serve. And here it is again, Jesus himself calling out to the disciples going, I know the world may look at you. You may even look at yourself as worthless, as a failure, as not good enough. But you're exactly who I'm looking for. And that's why it's a personal call this morning. Right? He wants to do something new in you. And I don't know what you face this morning. I don't know what words rattle around in your mind, right? We remember that old thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words don't hurt me, right? It's a lie. It's the biggest lie we teach our kids because words, they sting. And worst of all, when they're our own words in our own heads, they hurt even more. And yet too many of us We miss the calling of God because of those things. See, and here's the deal. When we allow those things to dominate, when we allow that thought process that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I can't do that, or I failed at this, those things keep us on the perimeter of what God wants to do in our lives, what he wants to do through us. Those very things are what keep us at a distance. And I love the imagery that's shown here because these four men, what did they do, right? They dropped everything immediately to follow him. That seems so radical to us, right? That they would be willing to leave their families, to be able to leave all that they know to go follow a man that they've heard about. They may have experienced on some level, but they're willing to throw all those things down. Why? Because that was a constant reminder of their failure, of their disappointment, of their shame. And my question to you today is, what are you holding on to? What are the nets that you have in your hand this morning that are keeping you on the perimeter of what God wants to do in your life? Is it shame? Is it disappointment? Maybe it is the words unworthy, failure. 
I don't know. But I'm here to tell you today that God stands before you in this moment going, you're exactly who I want. Let go of those words and let me show you who you are. Because see, that's what he's speaking to the disciples in that moment. That's what he's speaking to those four men. And see, if we read through that quick, we miss it. And we just look at, oh man, that's cool, right? That they were willing to give up everything, but I couldn't do that. Yes, you can. And that's the call of God. It's a call that is urgent. It demands for us to make a move. It pulls, it calls to us to do something. But it's personal. It speaks to the very core of who we are this morning. It speaks to the hurt, the cut, the pain, the junk that's inside of us. And I don't know about you, but my response is, is God, I don't give a rip about what the world says about me or what words have defined me. I'm going to drop those things and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you this morning. And that's what those men did. They dropped everything, jumped out of the boat and ran right to him. And so it is an urgent call. It is a personal call, but it's also a transformational call. And you see right here in Mark 17, he says this, and this is probably one of the most famous scriptures. You probably even already know it. Come with me and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I will show you how to catch men and women, right? What is he speaking to in their nature right there? He's saying this, come with me. I have a journey for you. I want to take you on a journey to discover your purpose. I want to take you on a journey to help you find fulfillment in life. See, because up to this point, again, go back. Their ideal fulfillment would have been to be a rabbi, to, you know, to be discipling other young men at this point, to be doing the work of God. And what is Jesus doing? He's calling them to that very thing that they thought they missed, that they thought they missed. But here's the neat thing. Jesus in all his power, he could have called them, set them down right there on the spot and gave them everything they needed in that moment and said, go, just do what you, do what you always wanted to do. But he didn't do that. And why? Because he wanted time with them. He wanted to help them on the journey. He wanted to show them what it was to be in that they needed to instill in their lives. He wanted to take them on a journey and slowly begin to remove those words, that shame, that frustration, that disappointment. He wanted to remove that from their vocabulary, their minds, thoughts. He wanted to pull that out and he could do it in a moment, but he knew that if he did it in a moment, it wouldn't be as impactful because those things would just come back. He wanted to take them on a journey. And that's what he wants for you and I this morning. See, he wants to take us on this journey with him. And it's a journey that will change your life. I can speak to that. I tell students this all the time. Every time I get an opportunity to speak to them, there's greatness inside of them. But it only comes to completion in a relationship with Jesus. And it's no different for you and I. You could be standing here today, and if you allow yourself to stay on the perimeter, you're always going to wonder what your purpose is. You're always going to wonder what it would be like to be fulfilled. 
Do you know that only 4% of people in the world, 4%, I believe is the statistic, that would say that they are fulfilled in life. When asked that question, only four, what does that, what does that say to me? This is there are a lot of people that are searching. And I don't know about you, but why not trust the creator of the universe, the creator of me, to show me what that purpose is, to show me what my destiny is. And that's what Jesus' call is, right? It's urgent. He wants you to respond this morning. He is saying, I'm right here, ready to do something new in your life. It may not look like what you think it should look like, but he wants to do something new. He's calling you to something new this morning. And he's calling you personally. It's an individual call, Caleb. It's not for everybody else. It's for you. It's the same. You can replace your name in that. Brett, Nehemiah, Tabitha, Tara, Sherry. It's personal to you because he knows what it is, Landon, that speaks to your heart. He knows. He knows what torments you when you lay down at night. He knows the words that rattle in your mind that you can't escape. He knows the past mistakes that you keep holding on to, thinking you can repair those. And he's going, just trust in me. And more than that, he's saying, you don't have to do it alone. Come with me on this journey. Follow me and I'll show you I'll show you how to slowly get rid of those things. I'll show you how to remove that shame from your life. I'll give you joy to replace it. I'll show you how to remove that disappointment from your life this morning. And I'll replace it with courage and a boldness. See, that's why he took him on a journey. That's why he didn't just give it to him right there. Because fast forward a year after they had been with Jesus, maybe even a little more. What are these four guys doing, right? They're out healing the sick, which is what Jesus was doing, right? They're casting out demons. Again, what Jesus was doing. Finally, they're calling their own disciples to come and be a part of what God's doing through them. It's a beautiful story all in six, seven verses. And if we're not careful, we miss the call of God, the call to a second chance in our life. 